0: Jordan Peterson has called for a need to rediscover the spirit of the Father. Many have been inspired to embark on their own hero's journey to set their life in order. But how do we balance order and chaos to live a life of meaning? What does it actually mean to be surrendered to God? And how do we root ourselves to stable ground as we witness the reenchantment of reality? At Manifesto, we're engaged on a mission to rediscover and understand manhood, and from this foundation to create a dynamic and thriving community. My name's Paul. Welcome to Manifesto.
1: Boom, and we're live. Thanks everybody for tuning in to another episode of Men With Purpose. Uh, We're having conscious conversations around masculinity, what is masculinity, and we're really trying to have these conversations become more into, be pushed a little bit more into the mainstream so we can redefine masculinity and create more healthy male role models. Today I'm joined by Paul. Paul is the founder of Manifesto, an organization based out of Copenhagen, Denmark, on a mission to restore men and masculinity. In addition, Paul is a trained psychotherapist and is one of the organizers of the European Men's Gathering, which is their flagship event hosted annually. This event has helped transform the lives of thousands of men. Paul, thank you very much for joining.
0: Thanks for inviting me.
1: (laughs) My pleasure. All right, I'd like to start uh, the podcast with just taking a few deep breaths and just doing a short check in whatever is is present for you at uh, the moment. Mm -hmm. So, whenever you're ready, just let's take a few deep breaths. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Hmm. So, you want me to uh, do it, some chicken? Yeah. Yeah, you can mm-hmm. do
1: a chicken. I'll do a chicken as well.
0: Sure. Uh, so, I am right now in the office of my father in law uh, with the very postmodern <coughs> arts behind me, which is nice. Um, I think most of it's actually made by my mother in law. Uh, and it's on a little island of Southern Foon in Denmark, uh, where I'm actually buying a farm just up the road right now, which is going to be the new headquarters for Manifesto. So, that's that's like a really exciting thing and i'm on the phone at the moment like just before like talking to the insurance company about the insurance and then there's an oil tank that's buried in the backyard and we need to get that dug up yeah whole all, millions of little things that need to get sorted out uh, so it's exciting it's also pretty intense it's also new year's eve coming uh, the day after tomorrow or tomorrow is new year's eve yeah <laughs> um so lots of stuff happening um but but it, it's really like a feeling of momentum building up uh, mm. and 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 kind of a gathering of stuff uh happening so so exciting uh great to be invited to be able to talk to this i just checked out your youtube look fantastic
1: mm. a lot of
0: good things happening there um so just great to see so much energy and and good things happening in this whole field
1: thank you sir um i'm feeling quite grateful to to be able to, uh, to have the opportunity to sit down and talk to you about this and also very grounded. I've did workouts today and I've been kind of doing a lot of productive work over the last couple of weeks or so. So I'm like really zoned in and ready for to, to have this conversation. <laughs> All right. So um, before we kind of get to how you got into men's work in manifesto and the European men's gathering, maybe talk us a little bit, what you were like maybe as a as a kid and you were growing up what what was the kind of the story of how you got into this in the first place oh okay <laughs> how far back do you want me to go <laughs> <laughs> as, as far as you want as far as you're comfortable talking yeah, okay sure so yeah i mean i was born
0: in south africa uh my father grew up on a farm he went to school with bare feet uh his whole school life actually wow. uh, without wearing shoes um and uh yeah i was very I, I went to school in a a, a a city called uh durban to start off with which is they, they called the last british outpost and i was I'm an english native speaker in south africa um but high school which is from like kind of seventh grade up to twelfth grade uh was in a very afrikaans school and when i went to this like very they called the factory of the school because they have produced more rugby players for the south african national team than any other school so it was a very masculine school in many many ways Uh, that i kind of was was in and certainly i can see there was a lot of discipline a lot of focus uh, and and that's formed in many ways who who i am Um, but i also left school with a desire to really go out and explore the rest of the world and see what else was out there Uh, so when i was 17 years old i left south africa and went to london uh, where i believe wow. you are right now right uh, uh, and
1: i actually in i am mean in bulgaria right now but i had a similar okay. trip 17 or 18 just left for london as well
0: <laughs> okay great yeah yeah so that back then it was still possible as us africans to get a working holiday visa
1: hmm. uh, so
0: i went over there got a job first at a bar for two days then worked at a place called tiny computers worked with computer stuff um then actually after some time got a job at a bank uh, and was wow. told, oh, you're not allowed to have this job at the bank. And so, because uh, I, I, my visa wasn't uh, a working, proper working visa, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they said, like, it would be really good if you went off and traveled for a little bit. Uh, and so I ended up traveling <laughs> around Europe. Uh, long story short, landed in Egypt, where I, I met a Danish woman. And um, yeah, now I've been living in Denmark for 18 years. Wow. Uh, Long story to, that I'll, I'll cut short there. But I would say, yeah, just to go back to your original question. So, yeah, I, I'm coming to Denmark, I studied university here in Denmark. I studied political science, actually, where every single subject at university in Denmark, feminism was a, a, a major part of the subject. It was a requirement uh, for... For when you you know for that education uh, that, that or there was always the feminist perspective that was included and so I kind of decided well everything that I learned back in South Africa about gender and you know men and women and the way that we work together that's all rubbish and old-fashioned stuff and this mm. Danish way of doing things is much better uh, and so I tried that for some years right um, and then and then at some points in my life I found it oh well actually, there was some value from my roots and from where I came from. And, mm. and it's about transcending and including both of these perspectives instead of, uh, you know, uh, just going from the one or the other.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Interesting perspective. Like you've been on, on quite the journey, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like a mini rites of passage, right? Like yeah. Going, yeah, going on the other side of the world alone, 17, 18 years old and just like, Having out kind of these plethora of these mini adventures. Wow. All right. Um, Curious to know, you're kind of exposed to this, uh, this field of studies um, and feminism is obviously a a mandatory subject that you need to, to go through. Um, At what point do you kind of start to question, okay, what about, um, you know, masculinity or um, how did you even get exposed to, to the field of, of men's work in the first place?
0: I'd say that came quite later. Like I, I think when I first got into men's work, I didn't, I'd never heard of the term men's work. Mm. Uh, it's only something we've been starting to use the last maybe five years or four mm. years or something like that, uh, that that's actually become a thing. Um, so the first time I went to uh, any kind of men's workshop uh, was a guy called Eli Buren. Who I'm so lucky to still be working with today. Fantastic mm. guy lives in Boulder, Colorado. Comes over to Europe once a year, mm. um, and and he yeah he does workshops for men uh, only. Uh, and so it's it's a, it's about creating a space where there's only men, <laughs> uh, and it's not uh, because there's something against women. But I, I what I found there was that um, you know as I had gone from kind of a, a journey of like okay just wanting to achieve and like my career and earn more money and stuff like that to finding like there's something else in life that's missing. Like what? What you know? What there's got to be more than this. Then I I found that I could actually, you know, when I was with in, the, in mixed gender companies, then there was lots of games happening or different kinds of you know complexities happening. Mm. Um, and and when I was with, just with guys, then there was another kind of directness and clarity that that seemed valuable for me. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I found that very much in that workshop there with Eli. Uh, and and yeah, that's just grown since then i I would say right
1: i think i mean i can definitely relate to kind of a similar experience and i wasn't really aware of men's work i would say i'd started more on the path of maybe on the darker arts of seduction and getting women all these kind of things and then that didn't really resonate with me so i was like okay how can i you know focus on myself to become a better man and like you said there wasn't really a term for men's work at the time i this was maybe maybe when i was around 19 or 20 so 11 years probably 11 years ago Mm -hmm. but i started just consuming this but the moment where you kind of step in in an environment which is only men Mm -hmm. um and this is not about discrimination just really something happens there which is very difficult to describe with words when men kind of step in in, into this kind of ritual space to create this ritual space which is very Mm -hmm. difficult and it's um sorry difficult to describe but also it's a quite quite unique to experience and it like you know listening to you i'm thinking wow it pretty much the same thing for me i mean it'll be like a nomad's lad, like what's about to happen here and then uh, i think that really had a, a profound impact on my life mm. okay talk talk to me a little bit about after after what after you visited the workshop what happened was it was kind of a slow natural progression where you kind of started delving into more into this. Cause I think mm-hmm. this particular field of work, at least from what I've seen so far seems to be very much rooted or a lot of that seems to be of the mainstream uh, is not mainstream, but a little bit more developed in, in America, mm-hmm. particularly North America. whereas in Europe here, there's not that much, um, much going on with respect to men's work or perhaps I'm missing something.
0: Yeah, I think Europeans—they are far more kind of philosophical, and uh, we we like to think about things. And Americans, there's a kind of like you know, go get them, go mm, do mm, stuff mm, mm. Uh, kind of attitude as well. Um, and and certainly, I've, I've noticed that as well. Um, it's very interesting noticing the differences between kind of European approaches and American approaches. We have we're, we have some American guys that have joined us in manifesto coming to European men's gathering and we have a network called Core of Online Men's Groups mm-hmm. where there's Americans and Europeans sitting together and, and the, the Americans love it. They love the kind of new perspectives that that they get when they're sitting with European guys as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly like you feel like the light's kind of turning on your brain sometimes a little bit more, but but certainly they're there is sometimes yeah I, I really appreciate the american guys for the energy that they bring in like okay well what's the action that we're what you know what's the next steps mm, our guy mm. is like how are we actually moving this forward kind of thing so yes there can be advantages in both you know but i've been in american only groups where a lot of it feels a little bit you know there's a little bit too much of that kind of macho man like oh and not a lot of reflection uh okay, <laughs> happening okay okay. Um, so 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 but yeah, both both are good but your question was how i got
1: yeah i mean into, afterwards was yeah, it from, a, a gradual development because obviously you set up manifesto uh, a few years back was that be- because of maybe this kind of missing link in, in particularly in europe uh which at least I, I haven't really seen to be that present as it is in the u.s yeah
0: yeah i mean i i, I so basically uh, you know i I came to, to Europe and, you know, embraced a very secular, postmodern worldview uh, mm-hmm. that I was taught at university, uh, studying political science at university. And that worldview took me quite far in my career. Uh, I worked for Microsoft for eight years mm. and, and, you know, had a lot of success. I, I was, at, at some point, I was the kind of global coordinator for Microsoft's global environmental sustainability strategy. Wow. Uh, Coordinating between the head office in Redmond and about 27 subsidiaries that were working with a focused strategy on this thing, and what I found was that I had ticked all the boxes of what I thought would make me happy, but I just wasn't happy. And so I really started looking for like, well, you know, what else is out there, kind of thing, right? And so I I, I, and I started, you know, touching into the world of spirituality. I I saw myself as very atheist kind of materialist scientific person Mm. but i I could see that there was something in this idea of spirituality that that was interesting somehow and so i i kind of did it with some ironic distance i would say but i i would i would also find people who i thought seemed sensible and seemed to be doing valuable work and who also were able to live what they were preaching um, mm. And I would invite them to Copenhagen and I would uh, have them stay in my home and I would put on a workshop for them, or I'd get someone to help me and, wow. and we'd put on a workshop. So I'd get to meet these people and actually work with them a little bit. Um, uh, and and so i had like all kinds of like you know non-duality teachers and tantra teachers and all kinds of weird and wonderful people uh, <laughs> coming and hanging out with me and then i got invited sometimes to like go to a little island in thailand and live for three months on a commune of spirituality teachers and you know, all this kind of yeah it was very interesting uh, learned a lot of things <laughs> um but more and more were drawn to these guys who who were doing men's work and, and found like that uh, there was like I could really create strong, powerful friendships uh, mm-hmm. with these guys as well. And what I also saw it with pretty much all of the others was that there was uh, a lot of people who were incredibly charismatic and had beautiful ideas sometimes and couldn't communicate them very well, but there was generally a trail of drama behind these people in their personal lives, mm-hmm. normally with sexual relationships with their students. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that was also again, which made me realize like you know this thing with sexuality it's such a big part of who we are Mm. and when it gets mixed up in a very confusing and chaotic way with spirituality it actually creates cults and you know very destructive new agey kind of things that Mm. uh, sometimes with these leaders who aren't you know actually they're good at talking the talk but not always good at walking the walk as well right and Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. men's work seem to avoid a lot of that in many ways Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or at least the worst excesses of it
1: (laughs) yeah I mean, I was speaking with my cousin. I was just telling her that, you know, I'm planning to organize the retreat here and it's going to be men only. And she said, oh, but why is it men only? I said, well, when when you have guys, and I, I tried to format, uh, kind of explain it in a way that is just very biological. Guys are going to start, you know, acting up very weird just to get attention from women. And uh, she reacted very kind of very abruptly to that. Then I was like, okay, maybe I need to kind of be thoughtful of how I deliver this but that's the truth right you you have a bunch of guys and then you have a bunch of women as well which are mixed together then it's a very very different dynamic as opposed to having only men in there and just really feeling that brotherhood and sometimes the tough love that is coming coming as a result
0: yeah I mean women all women recognize this as well we call it desexualized spaces you know women sometimes need to have space where they're just women together and mm. they all will recognize the moment a man walks into the room the atmosphere changes uh, especially if it's a group of single women right um, yeah and, and, and it's very much the same with guys you know for a group of single guys and one woman especially it's a beautiful woman who walks into the room then we act differently we don't mm-hmm. relax in the same way there's acting out there's competitiveness mm-hmm. uh, ego suddenly steps in and takes up more space um Mm -hmm. and yeah and and what i really love the most about the the spaces that we make the desexualized spaces that we make with men is just the amount of disagreement that we're able to handle between us um, Mm. and and how that actually brings us together instead of pushing us apart Mm. I think a large part of what we're seeing on social media, with all of the you know kind of you know fighting and stuff like that, it's just really grandstanding. It's virtue signaling. It's people taking extreme positions in order to like you know kind of dominate other people uh, to to look like they are somehow the good, and and, and so there mm-hmm. isn't any willingness actually to to meet each other and. and in these men's only spaces, we, we, we were able to create the bonds that then are enable us then to create the strong relationships with women as well. Mm-hmm, you know? So it's, mm-hmm, we, we, we mm-hmm, underline mm-hmm. very much, you know, that, we're we're doing this uh, to be building up the skills and the ability and the character and the centeredness in ourselves mm. to improve our relationships with women, and that's a very integral part, you know, of it, it's, it's in no way a, a, a kind of zero sum game or anything like that.
1: Yeah, of course, of course. I think it's. Uh, I actually never thought about it that way. That you know, it's it actually goes both ways, right? If it's only women and a man comes in, and then boof, like something changes, right? I think it's just hardwired in our biology. Um, what she said there about having healthy disagreements when you're in a men's, men's group or a, you know an event like this, I think is incredibly powerful exactly because of those reasons. Everybody's kind of virtue signaling on social media today. I'm obviously generalizing, but that kind of seems to be the, kind of the current state of affairs from what i can see the way that
0: facebook has designed their algorithms you know it's explicitly Mm. designed to do that uh Mm. so you know that it it exploits these weaknesses in our cognitive processes uh that we want approval from other people so you know and it's just made the systems to make that realizable Mm -hmm, so mm yeah we're we're more and more saying to guys like you know be you you have to really really be careful like we we've actually taken a principled decision now to get off facebook uh we're, we're not doing stuff there anymore uh and, and what we're seeing is an exodus from most of these platforms because people are realizing how how dangerous there is in the way that it's actually forming mm. forming their mind. Uh, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. And 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 you know people are moving more and more to other subgroups and other platforms, which are yeah not uh, just you know basically selling people out uh, in the search for profits. Uh, mm. The way that platforms like Facebook are doing, I think they're probably mm. the worst, but far from the only example.
1: And it's also quite creepy. uh, Funny thing, you're bringing this up. Maybe a couple weeks ago, I actually deleted both my Instagram and Facebook. And right now I have a separate device, which is only on airplane mode, stays only in one place. And I just use it to post content afterwards. I put it away and I don't really surf the net at all. I just purely use it for, you know, obviously reach because majority of people are still on these platforms. Although I full heartedly support a, limiting after watching The Social Dilemma, just a small plug in that I think it's worth people to, to know that. Or if you haven't seen it, please go check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, how everything is really rigged against people, right? Social media is probably free, but it's the most expensive free type of media ever created, right? It's just sucking so much life out of people. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. so well well done for that i think it's a great great thing uh that you well
0: yeah i'd say you've taken further steps than i have what 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 inspired you to take those steps uh of completely yeah
1: yeah sure so um obviously these new terms and conditions they're not really new i did a little bit of research that actually been in there for I think from 2018, the fact that they have access to your contacts, people that you're calling, the fact that they can check your text messages, not necessarily that they're reading it, but they can store them. The mm-hmm. fact that before you could actually delete your uh, delete your delete all of your data, and now I think you have to wait for 30 days, and then this data cannot be deleted if there's like an investigation against you, yada, yada. But the whole notion of everything is being tracked, everything that you go, the fact that it's really annoying, for me to say something and then boom, I get a, a ad for it. Uh, Twenty minutes, I mean, even a, a couple of hours later, I'm just like, mm-hmm. man, this is this is crazy, man. And I, I just kept my, I, I, I'm like super into it because I'm posting a lot of content and people are messaging, responding. But um am mm-hmm. really very, um, how to say, it shifts my behavior in a very subtle way, and it's mm-hmm. it's a continuous thing. So I'm like, wow, this is this is really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, also the amount of time I'm spending on it, just kind of browsing sometimes. Like I could be doing a lot better things for me to, to mm-hmm. serve other people, serve my community, serve, you know, the purpose rather than just, you know, browsing Facebook or Instagram. So, mm-hmm. um, and for, for people who are actually interested a little bit more, the other thing I've did, uh, is I separated my, I've isolated my browsers. So, um, one browser I'm only using for Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp. And I'm not doing anything else on it. On the other one, I'm using Google, uh, Google Chrome for Google, uh, Gmail, et cetera, et cetera. So not to, that they have kind of cross-tracking of, of these kind of things. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 have you
0: heard Cal Newport? He's written a couple of books, but I, I just read a book called Deep Work. Um, he basically mm, puts yes, together yes. A, a couple of arguments, I think, where he says, you know, deep work is becoming increasingly rare. Uh, And increasingly valuable, and and it's becoming more and more difficult to do. But fewer and fewer people are able to do it. And it's actually, you know, it's it's a recipe to success. Is by isolating yourself and focusing in. Then you're you know you're getting out of this distraction economy where you're constantly multitasking and looking at different things. Then it's a lot of people think that that's the way forward is to be plugging in and being connected all over the place. But it's actually a trap. uh, And and Mm. and and I think you know it's it's not i think yeah for a lot of people it, it you know it's, it's shifting you know that's the for me that's the biggest expense of being on social media is it's it's actually a new lens through which i see reality that's forming the way that i interact with the world mm. uh, and, and it, if you look at the amount of hours that people are using on these platforms it's it's very very high uh, and so so by by getting out of that then i think we're able to see things more the way they are instead yeah. of seeing them through the way that you know an algorithm is is developed which is you know at the end of the day its mm-hmm. only goal is to suck your attention to be able to show you as much advertising as much as possible mm-hmm. uh, and make as, make as much money out of you as possible by understanding exactly who you are and what your preferences are and i mean it's brilliant you know if i ever open that youtube app it just knows exactly what video it is like you know, <laughs> whatever mm. time it is, like it, it can always just find the little thing that that's going to interest me, right? So It's going to
1: hook you. I mean, I think people don't understand that this, this this really is a rigged game against us. Like you're sitting there with your monkey brain and opposite you is probably one of the most sophisticated computers ever that you're not just not going to beat. Um, I've also deleted YouTube on my phone. So all of this is just out of it. Like I'm I'm not the... I'm you, 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 it's... wits. Sorry? What was the app you deleted? Uh, YouTube as well. Oh, YouTube. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, that could take a whole life on its own. But getting back to this book, uh, I mean, our attention span is is decreasing, like, super, super fast. And it's really frightening. And I think exactly like, like you said, uh, I think, I can't remember, maybe it was a buddy of mine, Callum, in, in Thailand a couple years ago, actually recommended the book. And I was just like, wow, dude. And I gotta say, I've been using I've been using kind of this method where I'm putting everything on um, on uh, airplane mode, mm-hmm. and I've been super super productive, like just doing you know plowing through what I need to get done, and uh, mm-hmm. it really works. Mm-hmm. People, people, yeah, don't take my word for it. Try it for yourself, but it really works. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so this is a bit of a segue, which is actually quite a fun one. Um, all right, how do you see? getting back into the kind of topic of men's work how do you see men's work developing and maybe in the next five ten years or so what's kind of been your um uh, objective view uh, on this
0: that's uh, <laughs> that's a big question to ask mm. um really hard to tell uh mm. really hard to tell and, and it really you know that it's so fascinating following how how this this kind of thing is just growing in the public awareness, uh, of men, masculinity, the role of gender, uh, relationships between, between men and women, um, and the plight of men as well. I got to say like, you know, um, a lot more awareness from governments, uh, and, and organizations about like, okay, well this, there's actually something we need to focus on here. And so I'm, I'm seeing more and more reasonable voices, um, and people who seem to, to get it, um, and I, I think for me, it's about, you know, the way Manifesto has operated so far is we, we, we've stuck under the radar. Uh, we've we very kind of, you know, it's, been, it's very much based on word of mouth and guys inviting their friends to come to our events. We haven't done any marketing campaigns whatsoever. Uh, I've just recently, for the first time, speaking to a marketing guy and got him to help me with some things Uh, and I haven't actually pushed click on the first marketing campaign Uh, so uh, that that probably will come in the next couple of months but I mean it it, it takes courage to step up uh, and to put out a masculine voice um, and the demands are very very high uh to to be able to do that and you know personally i the way manifesto is built up is we see ourselves as a council uh, and my job is really in supporting the leaders of manifesto so i don't i don't see myself as some kind of you know visionary uh kind of like follow me you know i'm the way the model of masculinity Mm. or something like that and I, i think that's been one of the biggest problems is that a lot of people when they want to talk about this they they want to have like some icon or some kind of uh role model to look up to or you know very charismatic Mm. leader normally it should be a a, an actor or a sports hero or something like that and uh, all those are the people who automatically kind of get get access to that to that kind of leadership position Mm -hmm. but i i I think that the the way forward is really to realize like none of us individuals have the answer of how to be a man in this present day society Mm. and especially as the shift to digital is happening then you know large amount of men in, in all society for all of human history they've been either you know m- in the military <laughs> or they've been in agriculture producing food it's been hard physical labor or you know learning how to like attack other people with axes and <laughs> swords and stuff like mm-hmm. that or shoot them right and mm-hmm. so those jobs aren't really required anymore we have robots and, and machines to do it for us and so how are we going to be finding a role you know we can't just have guys sitting and playing counter-strike um mm-hmm. and so how are men finding purpose and meaning uh for themselves and direction mm-hmm. um in this new society that, that that's going to take uh, uh, us you know seeing the value in each other and and rebuilding the fabric of male-to-male relationships i think that, that that's where i see a, a large part of mm-hmm the possibility of a progress to come. And then from there, I think the answers will, will, will start coming out. But while men are, you know, competing with each other and beating down on each other and trying to get the approval of all the women, um, that's where, that's where things tend to go wrong. Um, mm. Mm. You know, like men have always protected and loved women. And there's been men who have dominated and oppressed women as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and so, and so I, I believe that, you know, when guys come to us and they have problems with their relationships with women, we always say to them, well, you know, sort out relations with other men first sure. and then, and then then it's going to be easy to reach the woman. And, and the way that women choose their partners is they look, which guys have the respect of the other men. I, I was never in the pickup community, but, but, and I've been said, that's quite like a solo thing. Um, but, or at least you have wingman often. Right. But, mm. You know, I, I really, all the women I speak to, they, 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 they look for, especially the women who are looking for, you know, a long-term stable partner, not just to get laid, right. Then they're looking for, who's the guy who has the respect of the other men. And that's a guy who's reached a higher position in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so often he'll also have money and status and a, and a good career and stuff like that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so. And, and and when we're able to do that, and we do that through integrity, you know, Western society are the most, you know, the, the least corrupt and we're, we're, our hierarchies are not perfect, but mm. they're certainly um, better than most other societies that have exis- existed so far. <laughs> mm
1: mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great point that you, what you're saying about instead of so i i haven't really been in the pickup community that long or really been that much into it. the whole notion of manipulating women or trying to pre-engineer a certain outcome is really very uh counter um counter intuitive it's not really me it's just like I, I don't really feel it is authentic it, it does work full disclaimer it, it does mm-hmm. i think it does get you what you're looking for but um i always say to, to men especially, is like first of all, try to understand other men, then understand yourself, then go and understand other women, how they think, how they act, why they act the way they do, which is a mystery most of the time. And then go and understand the particular woman. Right. Mm-hmm. So rather most guys are like, okay, let me go and understand the type of woman that I'm it with. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to kind of really, cause you have to go through your own shadows, your own inner, you have to do your own inner work, all your, you know, uh, traumas, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's quite a quite an important thing to do here in our work.
0: Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest challenges that we're facing is that a lot of people have got this idea into their head that their value as a man is measured by the amount of women that they can get laid with in, you know, a certain period of time.
1: Mm. So
0: they're, you know, they, they, they spend inordinate amounts of time trying to pick up women, uh, and, and something that takes up enormous amounts of their attention as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, probably if I had to be honest, then maybe the first 30 years of my life as an, or at least from when I would turn into a teenager, a lot of my actions were actually, going towards that as well was was, Mm -hmm. was about how do i how do i get attention and appreciation and love and 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 you know as it went out and the times i've been single then it's about getting women to bed with me
1: Mm -hmm. um
0: and and i think that it's the wrong way around Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's also Mm -hmm. trying to um it, it's the wrong thing that i'm going for as well because what most of these men are actually looking for is love and connection and intimacy and and that's not through these you know one night stands or these kind of quick hookups or something like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah i I've spoken to guys who you know that you know they, they feel there's something wrong with me I'm not regularly having sex with somebody, and then so then they 'll get a prostitute or something like that mm. uh, and 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 that experience or, or or they'll go to a bar and they 'll pick up a girl they'll go to a tantra workshop and they 'll you know hook up with somebody there um, and then they'll just have this feeling of emptiness afterwards um, and so you know I really see this as a it's an addiction that that's being fed somehow um, in society and mm-hmm. and so you know sex is a very important part of our lives but but if you put getting sex regularly is the most important thing as a man Mm -hmm. uh it's it's you're gonna go off the rails unfortunately it's it's Mm -hmm. more that's something that comes when when you've got your life in order and and so Mm. you need support from other men to help you get your Mm -hmm. life in order um and and then that will come naturally of finding you know that's what women find attractive is men who have skills men who have a purpose men who have direction men who know where they're going right
1: Mm beautifully said uh, that, that's why i kind of when when i mentioned this i, I referred to is as, as the dark arts because people really get addicted especially men get really hooked and addicted to it they they seem to be able to get um this kind of sense of approval sense of affection from other men because of these conquests and perf- constant performance of you know they all they, they get like i even have like friends like this that are addicted to the adrenaline rush of actually meeting someone new having sex with them, and then off to the next one. And it's just like a repetitive cycle. And you're like, what are you doing, man? Like, that's how they find self-worth. Right? I'm guilty.
0: I've been there.
1: <laughs> same here. Same yeah. here. Like, uh, like, how many women have I slept with? And it's a very, how to say, very perverted way, not not to kind of, ju- um, I mean, I am placing judgment on it, but I'm not saying it with a sense of shame or anything like this. Just objective looking looking at it objectively and thinking you know what i probably could have done a much better job of ace being a little bit more honest with that person uh and actually spending my time actually working on me working my inner issues demons etc etc which is very difficult to do right
0: mm-hmm. so yeah, i mean for me you know th- so this is about you know sex with different people and it's also about pornography and i think Mm. let's get to the pornography as well but i'll start by saying you know like you know there's something about sex where in many modern discourses it's kind of been degraded to you know it's just about like having fun and or it's about you know like love or something but love becomes very cheap kind of artificial thing or, or light thing and for me you know like having sex with someone is by far the most deep and intimate and almost sacred act that I can do with somebody. And, and so, you know, when I just start doing it with many people at the same time, then, um, or, you know, just in a solo kind of series with people off each other, then it degrades it somehow the, the, the mm. act becomes far less valuable. And so, you know, <laughs> uh, but if I just choose one person to do that with, then I can spend the rest of my life going deeper with that one person And I'll never get to the bottom of it. You know, that it becomes more and more exciting the deeper that I go. If I'm able to stay in contact with that person Mm. and stay in intimacy with them, that's, and that's the real challenge that requires both of us to grow as human beings as well. That that's for me, the purpose of sexuality. But when I'm just like, you know, doing it with a whole lot of different people, like even, even especially if I do tantra and things like that, then I can have all these like great, like powerful experiences and trauma and whatever. Right. And, but at the end of the day, I'm, really just desensitizing myself and i need a bigger and bigger kick uh, mm. to get uh, the same kind of effect out of it as well and of course that's the same that's especially the case with pornography as well
1: mm. uh, you've used the the word desensitized. i think a lot of men are actually used to this and after a while sex isn't really what it's meant to be right the sex is just this kind of mini achievement that leaves you even emptier afterwards because sex i think in my opinion at least deepens the more you spend time with actual person it's not just like oh i had sex and you kind of that's it and you kind of move on really the the real challenge and this is where kind of we as as men tend to to fail a lot is we think that uh what's going to give us more success and more fulfillment is the number of women that we hook up with etc actually the challenge is spend more time with one person a woman that's really going to push those triggers really she's going to kind of bring that shadow side of you that you're afraid to face like um I, I have a couple of buddies of mine one of them one of them is a shaman and there was a period of time where he was actually getting into intimate relationship just f- using it as a as a vehicle for growth just because mm-hmm. these women were just challenging challenging him constantly he was like what the hell man like i cannot take it anymore but for for a period of maybe two to three years, he was just like mm-hmm. experiencing so much growth because he was in that kind of in, conscious intimacy, if you will.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I
1: can I can see
0: how that can be a strength. And then because I've done the same thing, um, and and long term, what I found is when I find a woman who sees what I'm doing in the world, and just wants to support me for that reason (laughs) Mm. um and and she wants to get behind me for that reason that then i don't have to kind of work for her approval because she sees me and 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 because i've 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 sorted out my own priorities enough that i know that what i'm doing is for a higher purpose as well
1: Mm. then
0: then then she then she comes to me, <laughs> and then what I found. So I've that's my wife. <laughs> when, I, when I found that woman, I married her. Uh, uh, and then I promise you, there's enough drama and challenges for self-development. Like that never ends. Yeah. um But 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 the the starting point to, for me to make that commitment because I I've had the relationships with women where I've thought like oh yeah well I'm I'm learning and growing so much by this uh, and mm-hmm. and um, oh yeah. It, in, in some ways it, it was too hard and and, and what it ha- what happened then is my relationship it sucks so much of my energy that that became the center of my world that i was revolving around which made me forget my purpose and it, at the end of the day a woman doesn't want you to make the center of her world she might say that to you that she wants it but what she actually wants is your purpose is the center of your world mm-hmm. and she can get behind that as well and, and support that and, and yeah you're part of that
1: mm-hmm. it's it's such a counterintuitive thing man i think um, if if you were to tell me this like five or six years ago, I mean, I, I was reading David data and on, um, you know, I could kind of see that. But and even though I was in a relationship back then, um, I think fear of commitments and long term relationships. Oh my gosh, what am I missing out? Is this the right person? Are we going to be stuck with this person forever? Like it's a scary thing. So relationships aren't easy at all. Like you have to battle with your inner demons, your inner child traumas, things that you haven't worked through, Mm -hmm. then come and meet the other person who's also dealing with those two things for Mm -hmm. them, for you guys to kind of come together and then deal with this, whatever, whatever relationship uh, you're having. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's quite a, quite an interesting topic, very challenging as well. Mm
0: Absolutely.
1: Talk talk to me a little bit about because we opened the the can of worms of of, about pornography. Uh, (laughs) I've been I've been addicted to pornography for a very long time. Um, I think this is really having devastating effects on on men. Um, From the you know retreats, the the workshops you mentioned, also the core um, sessions that you're doing, how much how much is that a factor in men's lives today? Well, it's not something
0: that we talk a lot about at mm. our events, I would okay. say. Mm. Uh, and and, and I, I, I noticed that men often have a need to talk about it. And a lot of them hold, hold as a secret. And, you know, I, I've held my pornography use as a secret for a very long time. Thank you. For the people and, that, and that gave it a lot more power over me. So sharing it with someone else who I trust, I don't think this should be shared publicly or on social media or anything like that. But having brothers who you know support you in the right direction that you can share it with, I think, is, is very, very powerful. But I also think that by focusing just on the addiction, it, you don't get out of the addiction. So it's about mm. finding other things in your life that become more interesting than the addiction. Because at the end of the day, addictions are the things that we used to comfort us when existence is too painful for us so we Mm. we turn to that and that becomes our our best friend in some ways right and and some Mm. people need that help every single day of their lives um and if we if we look at pornography use it's it's not so much an addiction to pornography but it's actually an addiction to masturbation to pornography as well Uh, Mm. and and that's where it's like a lot of strong hormones that are at play and the dopamine kick from getting that but you know uh, you know i i've seen very different science on this but certainly very very strong experience and from all the men i've spoken to is you know like that our life energy is is connected to our sexuality and when we're you know like squirting that into a little piece of tissue every single day then it's not getting used very very well mm. right That it's getting, and we're also totally disembodied where our attention is on a screen we're looking at more and more weird hardcore far out stuff that's you know more extreme mm. um and and not you know not not feeling ourselves not in connection with ourselves not in connection with another human being mm. and, and basically making love to this disembodied screen uh on on the internet or something like that Mm. and so so um it's not an easy thing to get out of again i don't think the way out of it is by focusing on it too much i mean i i've i I can see the value of there's a program called slaa sex and love addicts anonymous it's a 12-step program similar to Mm. alcoholics anonymous Uh, i've actually been to four or five meetings uh and 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 found that was a really good Forum for me to kind of just share about what had happened to me and also see how many people had the same experiences as me. Um, but then I think it's really about finding other things that I can put my atten- attention in mm. onto that I can mm. replace that need. Um, and that can take some time. Um, and,
1: for sure, and- like every other process, right? Yeah. I can't remember who said this, uh, but I heard this from Michael Gay. He's kind of um, a facilitator. He works with Sacred Sons. He said the opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. And you, you get so much addicted to something. You're kind of, and like you said, this in, in this kind of really distorted, weird, perverted, disembodied way where you're kind of looking something in the screen, you're kind of jacking off here, um, really puts you... Uh, just deprived you of so much so much of your life energy right you're just kind of shooting a load and oh okay that's it and i, I mean i get it sometimes people men do you have to do this because they're under a lot of stress and this could potentially elevate some of the stress or tension it's with work or with something else but long term it's not a not a good strategy at all
0: yeah it means that you don't to take the actions that are needed to deal with the root problems mm. um, so and a lot of the time I think it's like either nice guy behavior or macho behavior mm. uh, so, so a lot of the time it 's because i 'm trying to be the nice guy and you know at least not like my father that 's the most important thing right and and that takes so much energy to be that nice guy all the time that there 's frustration and irritation or all kinds of other things discomfort that builds up inside, mm. and then I use the the, the, the the pornography to kind of relieve that expression mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stress is a very modern phenomenon. I grew up in South Africa. People have a really tough life in South Africa, mm. but I've never seen so many people with stress as there is in Denmark. Uh, wow! And and, and and for me, that's very clear. Like you know, people who stress, it's people who are living inauthentically. They're not being themselves. Uh, it's got nothing it's got or it's got much less to do with external circumstances you know people can endure i think what nietzsche said this thing he, he who knows his his why can endure any how you know mm. we can we, we, we if we think it was victor frank but
1: maybe maybe it was nietzsche so sorry. yeah
0: yeah no, but it, it, you know you're doing this blog this this podcast on purpose right and if you i know what my purpose is then i can endure extreme hardship mm-hmm. uh and, and 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 a very very heavy workload because i know that what i'm doing is the right thing i'm in the right place at the right time uh, and 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 the stress is often from from being disconnected from that i think mm-hmm. that's where mm-hmm. we use addictions and yeah and then that's just one of them. Of course, you know, there's a whole plethora and, and you know, we're all, we all have addictions, you know, I, I think, mm. um, he, who says like, Oh, I'm totally free of addiction and is living a normal life. That's that's, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, I can't remember what I heard this, but every single time you ejaculate the thing, the French call it les because you're, you're a little part of you is actually done. You're giving your, your life energy away. Um, and you're absolutely right, you're addressing kind of the, you're not addressing the core root, uh, the core issue, which is probably you're living in some kind of, you're not really aligned, uh, right? You're not aligned with what you want to do, you're probably doing something else, hence why it's creating all this uh, internal stress. And I think a lot a lot more people are actually feeling disembodied. I started... Um, I've, I've trained in like pure linguistic programming, coaching, yada yada yada. But the moment I started working with the body, with somatic therapy, with bioenergetics, man, it's 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 a, it's, it's night and day. I'm not saying that one doesn't have uh, doesn't have any merit. By all means, of course, sitting down and actually talking with someone. This is what we do in men's circles most of the time. But using the body adds just a whole another level of really. Um, Stress relief, trauma release, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mm. I, I, don't, I don't feel that many people are actually in, in contact with their bodies. Uh, they seem to be all kind of overthinking. This is kind of like what the culture is conditioned us for. And again, I'm, I'm obviously generalizing here, but for the most part, I see people trying to think their way out of problems, mm. which doesn't seem to be working that well. So, really yeah. being in embodiment, um, in, in alignment, in congruence with yourself and with the body. I think uh, really addresses a lot of these kind of core, core issues. Yeah, I mean, probably it's certainly
0: a, uh, an issue of Western society is that mm. you know, Descartes kind of like uh, <laughs> said, like, you know, we, he, he made us the observer of ourselves somehow. And so the mental became very important. And, and yeah, I, I think our education system also just prioritized ideas far above action and, and embodiment. Um, but I also see the pendulum can swing the other way, and then people are so, also like, oh, "We got to get out of the head and into the body," and then we can just forget about, you know, like having a budget and planning for our <laughs> lives and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that as well. So finding that balance, you know, um, uh, you know, when I, I, for some years I, I I researched contact improvisation dance, and 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 their um, balance is a really important term. They're very scientific about it, you know, mm-hmm. and and there's, there's no such thing as being. In balance. there's it's like not a static thing it's a you know a human body it's it's constantly dynamic and wow. so, so the moment that we think like oh now i found balance now i'm the right balance between mind and body and stuff like that that's you know so so the human beings are are very dynamic beings and manifesto we have 10 principles and principle number 10 is that my man, man is mind body and spirit so actually mm. we we have these these three elements um and and we think all three are are just as vital and important. Mm-hmm. And of mm-hmm. course, inside manifest, we have vastly different ways of looking at, especially how to access the spiritual dimension mm-hmm. uh, or how to deal with that aspect of, of man. Um, but, but that gives at least some interesting conversations and sometimes also some good rituals and stuff like for that. Sure, well.
1: For sure. For so, sure. You mentioned the word ritual. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about the value of ritual? Cause I think it, a lot of that is actually lost in our modern culture and society. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. What? Where do I start? Well, I mean, for me, the value of ritual is also, you know, I'm going to go even further and say the value of religion, um, because mm. because I think we've kind of like, you know, decided we don't need religion. We can just get rid of it. And as we've done that, then religious practices are just bubbling up in 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 kind of slightly new ways, but actually very very old religious practices. Mm. Uh, and so um, one of the things we've we've looked at, you know, there's you know the obvious examples is just look at it like foot. Ball as a religion right where the temple is the stadium and you have you know it's it's ritualized war basically mm-hmm. uh, but you have like shrines and you know, the ball like a signed t-shirt from the final of the uefa cup is you know this holy object and uh you know you can go on pilgrimages and you know it's, it's incredibly religious uh, mm. but you know consumption is also you know apple being an apple consumer <laughs> is almost uh, being a part of religion veganism and all these kinds of things have strongly religious elements in them as mm-hmm. well most of them are a Pop- apocalyptic uh, probably the most widespread religion before corona certainly that was climate change as a religion mm, i mm, think mm. uh you know you were evil and bad if you didn't subscribe to the the the, the prophecies of climate change and mm. and uh you would be ex- you know like kind of you know radically cut down and, and and it's a very apocalyptic you know kind of like we're all gonna die if you look at the extinction rebellion guys mm, as mm, well, right? mm. um so so but all of these all of these religions have rituals Um, and, and so when we, when we, when we reject the idea of religion and ritual, then they, it finds its way into our lives because it's a basic (laughs) basic human being, human need is, is Mm. to have rituals in our everyday life. Uh, and so, you know, everything from just, you know, today I'd say like the most common altar in in the home where the ritual is that's what well, was the television for many years and many homes are still the television um, but now it's almost like just sitting each person by themselves with their mobile phone or something like that right that's where we sacrifice uh, our lives and our time and our attention uh, mm. on, on the altar of facebook um, but um you know in in, in men's work we're, we're trying to take this back and become aware of of our of our need for ritual and Mm -hmm. for religion and we we experimented with you know mixing and 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 holding different rituals uh we created very basic rituals um and we're also you know really having very serious discussions we have buddhists we have christians we have hindus we have Taoists, and we're having those discussions inside manifesto of you know and there's very (laughs) obviously there's you know very different perspectives um of, of how this works but you know this this last european men's gathering we had a hundred and something guys standing around a fire an orthodox priest blessing the fire a guy dressed up as some kind of pagan viking warrior you know, holding a thing and then every man coming up individually talking about his purpose in front of all the other men uh offering something to the fire um and it, it was it was really really powerful yeah
1: mm. man you said something about ritual is kind of almost like hardwired and for, for us as human beings, this is, and I never really thought about it that way. That, that's why i just kind of had like a mini mind explosion whilst yeah. you were saying this. So, yeah, ritual, even if we kind of suppress it, and that's kind of maybe religion, kind of people moving away a little bit from that, just a ritual seems to kind of find its way back into our lifestyle, our everyday lives, right? Whether it's the kind of the, like you said, the TV, and I never thought about it that way. That's fascinating. Yeah
0: wow a lot of people would call like instead of homo sapiens the the thinking human that's the kind of western Des- Descartes kind of approach uh, homo adorants which means the worshiping being uh, mm. human beings need to worship something and so if you if you look at if you look at human behavior then whatever you put your attention on that's what you're worshiping and if you look at people through that lens then you can see they are actually worshiping it because they you know if it's money or if it's status or if it's you know whatever then they 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 dedicate their lives to it we need to we need to feel like we're dedicating ourselves to something bigger than ourselves and and Mm. and so that that's a we can say oh no i don't do that and then we end up doing it subconsciously anyway um or we can say well what is it that i actually want to dedicate my life to and and that's Mm. why i find really meaning because i'm able to make a completely conscious decision Mm -hmm. about what is it that i actually want to worship in my life
1: Mm. oh that's great that's great i um I had a look in on your actual website and there you have uh, a mentorship section as well. Can you talk a little bit about mentors? Cause I think a lot of men, me especially if I, I've I look back 10, 15 years, you know, and speaking to my younger self, the one thing I would have told them is go and find a, a male mentor just to kind of really show you the, uh, the mystics of, of life and kind of guide you through all these kind of uh, rituals, spiritual you know, ceremonies and et cetera, et cetera. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what we've realized the value of mentorship. Um, absolutely. And, you know, we're in a society which puts coaching as the kind of highest form therapy or coaching. Uh, therapy is basically um, about someone asking you questions so you can talk about all your problems, mm. coaching is someone asking you questions so you can talk about what you want to do. Um, but mentorship is something else entirely because in coaching and mentorship, you have all the answers already. It's just about the coach or the mentor, like kind of getting them out of you, you know, but no one can teach you anything because you are the sovereign individual, you know, person or whatever it is. Mm. Mentoring is different. Mentoring actually realizes, well, I don't know everything. And there's other people who've, tried being in the same situations that i'm in and had success with it actually and mm. they know they recognize what i have to do because it's not you know I'm, many of the things i'm trying to face like i'm trying to find a wife and i'm you know trying to get a job and i need to get sorted out with this you know my procrastinating and i, mm. I i'm really tired and I'm, I'm eating really crappy food you know like there's people who have faced these problems before and they've solved them mm-hmm. and so mentoring is built on this idea that well actually an older more experienced person um you know it, their their value is only in their experience and that's what a mentor has is they have more mm. experience in every other way the two people are are equals and and the mentoring relationship is two equals meeting and it's important that there's that authentic meeting at an eye level as well with the recognition that the mentor has more experience than the mentee mm-hmm. is able to mm-hmm. just ask him guide him nudge him in the right direction sometimes mm-hmm. give him tasks to do a lot of the times a mentor will say go and do this and this and this and come back and tell me how it went yeah that's yeah. the normal mentor approach
1: Boyaka, man. <laughs> I, I like how you broke down coaching uh, therapy, therapy and then mentoring as well beautiful mm-hmm. like very very well synthesized finally got it right <laughs> <Great point. laughs> nice um in if if obviously let 's talk a little bit about um, european men 's gathering uh, w- without getting into too much detail because I know that there is a certain um, uh, a certain what 's the, the word i 'm looking confidentiality mm-hmm. for what 's actually happening on those events and that 's actually by design i 've talked it on many many episodes, but i, I, I catch mm-hmm. myself having to go through the same thing because there is value in, in uncertainty and actually go, stepping into the unknown can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about what's happening uh, at these events and why men which i wholeheartedly would support well they should join you mm-hmm. how, how the whole idea actually came about in the first sorry to interrupt how, how did the whole idea came about in the first place
0: okay i'll start with the first question then uh, we'll get over okay. to that one as sure. well i think so i mean basically what we do with european men's gathering is we focus on creating a container for transformation um, and, and, and that's not an easy thing to do. It's easy to give people an experience Um, but a container for transformation is not so easy. And so some of the elements that we have there is we, we place it far away from a big city where it's quite difficult for people to get there. So they actually have to put in quite a bit of effort to be able to make it there and it costs some money and they have to take some time. So it means everybody's invested to get there kind of thing. Right. And it's not easy to leave once you're there as well. So (laughs) there's some like nervousness, like, Oh, who is this going to be and what's going to happen and what are all these people and stuff like that. But then I like, I I make this decision with myself. Okay, I'm committed. I'm going to go in there. Um, And then, you know, once we get there, then we create some, the first thing we do is we create some agreements of like how to, and and the agreements actually form like the container for, for Mm. what's going to happen there. Um, And so one of the, one of the first agreement that we make is always confidentiality, as you mentioned. So we say like, whatever happens here, we keep it to ourselves. Mm. Um, And, and so we don't, um, you know, we're we're able to share anything that happens and we can trust that the other men are not going to go out and, talk about what's happening and things like that so it's it's, Mm -hmm. we're completely confidential and then we have some other rules that just like kind of create the sense of like safety um and then from there uh the european men's gathering it's really based on you know yeah so the second question you asked me where does the inspiration come from um we're we're really kind of uh well yeah we're three guys that started the european men's gathering uh Mm -hmm. it it was my myself i'm a political i was a political scientist at this time Uh, alexander bard is a is a philosopher and music producer and a whole lot of other stuff an author and then there's a guy called booster who was a professional dancer and we knew each other from a community called burning man uh which is a festival over in the united states Mm -hmm. um and it's a crazy hedonistic wild a little bit mad uh yeah best of all in in many ways, but they have some beautiful principles. Um, and the one of the one of the strongest principles that that kind of is there is is the one of collaboration and involvement of all the participants so everybody who Mm. comes is is a a participant and is a contributor so you're not coming there to get spoon spoon-fed by someone and you know even if so you know some very big famous names of different artists and uh musicians have gone to burning man but even when they go they have to buy ticket just like everybody else uh and there's no one that organizes a stage for them you know they have to organize everything themselves there's no central planning committee so the european men's gathering we do a little bit of central organizing we create the frame but then it's really we have a crew normally of about 50 people uh, wow. out of out of the 140 guys who come who are helping to organize who, who are you know doing workshops who are facilitating core teams who are helping to organize work teams uh, who are you know all kinds of different stuff. We do panel debates and discussions and lots of different parallel things. And so people can really kind of find their own way through the, through the event. We have, we have a couple of rituals, which are the same for everybody. And then everybody is in a core team and these core teams, they meet regularly throughout the event. Um, and, and they race it really like, that's a group of six, seven guys. It's the guys who live closest to where you live in Europe, wherever mm. it is. Um, so they will be from your local geography. So they will be the most natural guys for you contact when you get back to your hometown again. Wow. And uh, then you, you share your journey with these guys. You talk about the experiences that you're having and they tell you theirs <laughs> and, and you help to make sense, of it, sense out of it. Um, and, and really the purpose of this container is that inside a container where it's safe like this, then we let down our guard a little bit that we have in normal everyday life and we allow our ego structure to actually disintegrates a little bit Mm. so we're not holding on so strongly to who i am and what i am and what i stand for Uh, and i don't need to fight against anybody who challenges my way of seeing the world or my identity or whatever it is right and and so i'm able to just let people understand you know kind of understand me and understand them a little bit more and and that way i can actually at some point normally on the saturday evening then we'll have some kind of vision exercise as well which is like well what do i want my life to look like uh, and what would I like to change when I leave here. Mm. Um, and formulate that in a way that that feels right for me and then on on the Sunday then we'll work on integrating that vision um, together with the other men each men especially in the core teams recognizing honoring and appreciating the other men and his team uh, for his unique contribution that's what we're teaching men to do is to appreciate other men uh, and get out of the automatic kind of like combative you know fighting against each other Mm -hmm. uh, thing but but seeing how each man brings a unique contribution and value uh, and we work together even when with our differences, you know, especially with our differences, that's mm. when we can actually uh, create value.
1: Wow, wow! And that, that's that's a for people that are listening, that that's a mini rites of. I mean, I wouldn't say a mini, but that's a rites of passage in and of itself. That I think most men we didn't have the privilege or the fortune to go through something like this since we were boys.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Arna Rubenstein is probably the world's leading expert today on rites of passage. He mm-hmm. came to the 2018. Uh, European men's gathering just before he wrote, he ran a leadership development training, which the entire crew participated in, including myself. Um, And and so from right from that date, then everything we've done has really integrated um, and, yeah integrated everything that he said because what we realized is well rites of passage it's really just it's a it's a framework for creating transformational experiences and events for people uh, Mm -hmm. that human beings have always done you know through you know weddings and funerals and all these things have always been rites of passages um and and but but yeah in western society we've kind of lost um, a lot of the the meaning of it We've we've that's the materialist mindset i would say I'm, I'm i'm reading a guy called or listening a lot to a guy called jonathan Peugeot at the moment uh who talks a lot about symbolism mm. uh, that's a really you know, for me, that's what the rites of passage digs deep into the the, sim- the symbolic understanding of, of reality, as mm-hmm. opposed to our very simplified, sci- you know, science has an enormous amount of value in creating computers and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but when it comes to understanding human meaning, science is meant to be neutral you know there's it's value neutral science so science is not how we create meaning in life Mm -hmm. Um, so even scientists need to sometimes look outside of science to find how to create meaning in their life
1: yeah wow beautiful beautiful when is the the next uh, european men's gathering it's on the 5th of august 5th of august and that's a three day two, two day two and a half day event
0: it's uh, from Thursday afternoon until Sunday, and we have a lot of men who come the day before, uh, especially the crew. But I mean, it's open to anybody to come the day before, and, and mm-hmm. everybody can help out. So one can even come from Wednesday and then mm-hmm. until Sunday and, and and get involved. So it's um yeah yeah it can be a four day four day thing um yeah it's uh, in denmark uh it's a tiny little country but it's up in the far corner of denmark close to the the ocean and the the big national park the really really beautiful natural area of denmark we have a a big old school uh up there which we have all to ourselves and can do all kinds of crazy weird and wonderful things Uh,
1: (laughs) beautiful uh, you just sold one more ticket i'm definitely coming in (laughs) Um, well, it'd be
0: great to have you there absolutely and uh, i think with your interviewing skills we could probably find some ways to use you as well i'm quite sure
1: i'm sure we, we can talk about it offline but i'm already getting some ideas um all right so if if people want to know a little bit more about you and to where can they go because obviously you're not on facebook right now uh mm-hmm. what what else can they uh what, what else can they find your message
0: yeah well www.manifesto.com with a pH, mm-hmm. uh not an F, but a pH is is the website. Um we have an online network of men's groups called Core. So that's manifesto.com slash core. And and then you can find the European men's gathering uh, in there as well. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, um which uh there's a quite a few guys that are kind of starting to produce some content for that a guy called eskil just made a really great video on intergenerational relationships wow. relationships between men of different generations which we're really seeing the value in um and uh yeah so so that that's there as well uh, there's a blog on the website manifesto.com blog mm-hmm. uh, we have a guy called andrew sweeney who's writing regular articles uh, really interesting stuff talking to mm-hmm. um yeah intellectuals so, yeah, that, that's the that's place. And, and, yeah, for me, I mean, I'm on core pretty much, uh, you know, very regularly. That That's where I'm doing most of my daily work uh, on Manifesto core. Um, and, um, yeah, and then I have a, I have a mentoring page as well. Um, so, you know, that that requires a, a good personal connection with someone where we feel mm-hmm. like we, we get along well together. Then I also do a bit of personal mentoring.
1: Amazing, amazing. And I think the YouTube channel is Manifesto with a PH-menswork, correct?
0: No, no, just manifesto.com. Okay, okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. yeah. yeah. Oh, the, oh, sorry. Yeah, the, the YouTube the, channel you asked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's possible. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Actually I was checking uh, it
1: out today. That's why I thought I'd, I'd throw it in okay. there. Okay.
0: Manifesto with a PH dash, men's work, one word. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for getting that for me.
1: No problem. <laughs> no problem. All right, Paul, uh, I'd like to finish these interviews um, with one question. What's one thing that you wish I asked you, but I didn't? Mm hmm.
0: Um, i would say i wish i don't know yeah we, when we, before we started you asked me like what what is there anything i, I shouldn't ask you or something like that and i, and I said well actually i kind of like the prickly questions." so uh okay, okay. so um <laughs> you could have maybe you could have asked me like well what's your faith or religion or uh, what do you worship or something like that mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you could also ask me something about feminism or whatever but i mean i i i think I think actually we're handling those really, really well. So it seems to me like the kind of the polarity or the Mm. whatever, you know, the the anger has gone out of those kinds of questions these Mm -hmm. days, actually, which is which is really nice. Um,
1: I mean, I I would love to to ask you, you know, what do you worship, and even get get into feminism. Also, kind of conscious of of time, I think you guys had a great interview with Dr. Warren Farrell, who was a was a a feminist, and he kind of turned Mm. into kind of men's rights and. The Boy Crisis. Go check it out. Great book. But I, let let me ask you this: What, what do you worship then?
0: <laughs> okay, that was a trick question that you had for me there. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Um, well, what I what I worship, I would say, is what I what I show with my actions. Like what I what I what. So it's it's what I put this in the center of my attention uh, most of the time. So I'm an Orthodox Christian uh, and, and that has a, a prayer rule, but I noticed most of the time I, d- I don't have my attention on God and on my prayer and stuff like that. Um, so probably I, I think a lot of my time I worship my wife. Uh, I, I like to make her happy. Good um, answer. So uh, <laughs> I do that. <laughs> manifesto you know it's really interesting seeing how manifesto can take on these religious ritualized aspects mm. as well and and become like a little cult uh and and so i need to be that's one thing i'm very aware of is not putting myself up on that kind of like guru uh, mm. stasis as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but but yeah i mean the, the right answer to say is that you know i worship god uh and and i don't know what god is um but i i i i, I subscribe to the orthodox uh, mm-hmm. christian perspective of it um and um i'm a fairly new convert uh, i spent the vast majority of my life as an atheist um and 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 so the, it's an exciting journey for me very much mm-hmm. uh, to be mm-hmm. to be diving in and, and the reason why it's orthodoxy is because it, I, I find that it really brings together this body mind spirit aspects Mm. of the being in in a fantastic way it's a very very embodied form of of ritual and worship as opposed Mm -hmm. to um what i see the western christians western christians seems to be very intellectualized it's a Mm -hmm. it's more like you know transferring one idea from my head into someone else's head instead of just being the light through my actions
1: Mm. I think a lot of a lot of actually men, a lot of strong men are actually religious. I'm also Orthodox, even though I don't really subscribe to to, to the religion per se that much. And it's something that I've been actually thinking more and more about. I think there is incredibly uh, value and a lot of benefits to that. I'm not sure if I subscribe to everything that's being espoused there, but maybe it's just a matter of time. I don't know. Like uh, the more I dive into men's work, the more I see how. Some of it is closely related to religion, or at least some of the the men's work facilitators that I interview or about to interview tend to also subscribe to some form of religion. Not to say one is better than the other, but just the whole notion, like you said, it's kind of intertwined with rituals in there and Mm -hmm. quite an interesting perspective.
0: Yeah. And it's challenging, you know, that, you know, especially talking about Christianity, that there's a lot of what I would call Christophobia and, and certainly mm. I had it myself, you know, I, I spent a large part of my twenties going around finding any religious person, but mainly Christians and telling them why they were wrong. Uh, and I could destroy their arguments very efficiently. Right. Mm. Um, and so, so it, 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 there's, you know, for me, it's a, a part of it is like, you know, obviously our societies here in Western Europe are built on Christianity. Mm. Uh, and so, a large part of what I'm looking at is our shadow in our relationship to fatherhood, uh, and how, in many ways, <laughs> Christianity is our patriarchal fatherhood roots. And and so, that kind of rejection of that is 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 a, is a reflection of our own relationship to the father, uh, in many ways. Mm. Um, and and so, at least coming to terms with that. And and this was Jordan Peterson for me, uh, who who said, you know, like the Bible. Is a book that's older than any civilization that's ever existed. Actually, some of the stories in it are, you know, more than ten thousand years old. You you can't just write the thing off as fairy tales. You you at least have to contend with it. You have to take it seriously. Um, and and so that's what that that was the thing that was like a real kind of switch for me mm. is seeing things that way and thinking, well, okay, yeah, that, that's right. I do need to take this seriously. Um, mm-hmm. and, and seeing it as a as a, as you know, instead of seeing it as like oh, this like kind of weird, silly, stupid, childish thing, of actually giving it some respect for like okay, well, you know, probably this this the, you know this thing has formed our culture, our civilization, and try and mm. understand it in in that way. Um, uh, yeah, that's
1: yeah. I mean, there's incredible amount of wisdom that stood the test of time, right? So there's definitely the, the... It's inevitable that there isn't some value in that. It's just you know it's kind of, the way it's being kind of pushed away and people, yeah, people and interpretations... misinterpreted and misused and abused. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Wow, dude, I can I can probably we can have another two hour conversation just on on fatherhood. Okay. Something I really wanted to to kind of dive into a little bit deeper. Maybe we can do a separate interview on on just on this, or even have a separate se- a second uh, podcast on this would love to do that. Maybe when we meet up at the European Men's Gathering, we can do another one.
0: I'm, I'd love to talk to you more, Pavel. So uh, this was enjoyable. Um, so yeah, thanks very much. I right. appreciate it. Uh, it was, was good talking to you. i uh, got thoughts some ideas through myself as well. So thanks.
1: <laughs> thank you very much, Paul. And also thank you very much, everybody who's listening, watching this. Thanks for tuning in. Go make sure to check out Manifesto, The Core, the European Men's Gathering, Definitely make sure to to come there if you can. And I'll see you in the next episode. Ciao. And don't
0: forget to subscribe to Pavel's channel here as well. I forgot to tell that on my channel as well. Uh, (laughs) Looks like there's some really good names that that are down here. And I know you have more good names lined up Mm -hmm. as well. So so subscribe. I think it's worth saying as I found on my channel.
1: (laughs) Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. All right, folks. See you in the next one. Ciao.
0: You've been listening to conversations on masculinity with Manifesto. We enjoy good discussions, but far more importantly, we are a real community with plenty of opportunities for you to engage online and in person. So check out our website on manifesto.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed the content here, then please share this podcast with a friend. Thanks.